3: The Armstrong and
4: Getty Show. I don't know if you know who Richard Dawkins is. You you know, if you're a reader or intellectual sort of person, you might know him for all kinds of different things. If you just kind of know him, you mostly know him because he's the person that stands up for atheism. He's one of the most famous atheists on planet Earth. He's an old guy now. He's an evolutionary biologist. One of your Oxford Berkeley, super smart, very glib, which is why he ends up on a lot of YouTube videos arguing against people who believe in God, and he's really good at it. And so he gets up at an auditorium full of like-minded people and really puts the screws to theologians and that sort of stuff on why uh, you're an idiot if you believe in God. (laughs) Our religion. And Richard Dawkins is really famous for that. Uh, Then it turns out he's, he's a hero to lefties for that reason. Not entirely lefties, but tends to be that direction. Well, he's the great rationalist. And he ends up on Bill Maher and Charlie Rose and the New York Times loves all his books. And he wrote The God Delusion, which was a huge smash bestseller and all that sort of stuff. Well, he doesn't fit into that side of politics when it comes to any of the transgender stuff. And now all of a sudden that's exploded because he's he's a guy who believes what he believes. and He's willing to say it out loud to anybody. He's an evolutionary biologist, and here he is. The woman he's talking to is an author. I couldn't come up with any more information other than that she's written a book about uh, sexuality and all this sort of stuff. Um, I don't know what her background is, but that would be the, her voice. Here's Richard Dawkins.
0: Sex really is binary. There's no question about it. You're either male or female, and it's absolutely clear. You can do it on gamete size. You can do it on chromosomes. To me, as a biologist, distinctly weird. People can simply declare, I am a woman, though I have a penis. Helen, what do you think lies behind this odd distortion of
5: reality?
6: I would say that when I started to write about it first, I quickly realised that this wasn't treated the same way as anything else. Like Just asking very obvious questions like, um, don't you think that if we allow people to self-identify their sex, this will lead to, for example, destroying women's sports or putting rapists in women's jails? People would turn this back on me and say, you think that trans people are predators. You're a bigot. What we were talking about here was an intensely linguistic movement. There isn't a sense in which a man can become a woman, except linguistically. Like, yes, okay, he can have operations. Most trans people don't have any operations, don't take any medicine. But that doesn't change your sex.
4: An intensely linguistic movement. That's interesting.
5: That's a fancy way of saying what I've been saying all along. I will not allow them to force me to use their twisted language, because that is the game.
4: In a different clip we're not going to play, he he talks about, he says, you know, if somebody wants me to call him she, I will just out of politeness, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean I believe that he is now a woman because they prefer to be called she. And her response to that is she said, you know, I was where you are now originally. The problem is that once you start saying she, they also demand that you use terms like mother, and 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 wife and woman and sh- i can't go down that road also just mm-hmm. out of politeness and that's where it gets complicated but anyway here's a little more of richard dawkins
0: i'm perfectly happy to um, address oh, a trans person by their preferred here. name and preferred pronouns i think it's just a matter of politeness really what i object to is the insistence that i am a woman i mean you're not a woman you're you i'm perfectly prepared to call you she if you like but
6: to say i am a woman is a debauching of language, and that's where I draw the line. I've become much more hardline on this, mm. and I would like not to be. I would have started where you are. But what I've learned is that somebody who expects to be called she also expects the words woman and female, and mother, yes. and sister, yes. and daughter. And it's very hard, if you give away sexed language, to explain why this person cannot, in all circumstances, be treated as a woman.
4: I apologize for encapsulating something we then played. Um, uh, Richard Dawson's up until this, one of the most respected evolutionary biologists in the history of that study. I noticed on his Twitter feed where this video is all kinds of pushback from various people on how he doesn't understand this or that about biology or evolution. (laughs) It's just All right. You know, maybe you're smarter than him or something but his question is so good right at the beginning what is going basically it's what is going on here <laughs> what's causing this and i know you're 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 always talking about the neo-marxism and all that sort of stuff and i absolutely believe that those people are pushing that but but why is why is there such an audience for it where does that come from such a willing audience that they're not they're not marxist they're just yeah that sounds right to me There are multiple genders, and I'm going to call you a bad person if you don't agree. What is driving that?
5: I think it's the human desire to be a moral, a good person, to be seen as a good person. This phenomenon is much more heavily female. Not not exclusively, not even close, but it's more heavily female and women have a need to belong that's different from a male's need to belong and so these people who are so smart i mean they they understand human minds they're crazy and they're evil but they're smart they understand how to convince people and i was talking about this under maoism yesterday convince people there are bad identities and there are good identities and it has to do with the moral weight These identities. You are a person with a very bad identity. Very bad. You're a hater. You're a racist. You're a transphobe. You're all the worst things a human being can be. All you have to do to achieve one of these good identities and to be embraced and praised is start using your pronouns and asking people what their pronouns are. And when I tell you that man is a woman, say, yes, that's a woman. That's all you need to do. And now you're a good person. And people fall for that. People like us, people like the the folks listening are disproportionately independent thinkers, disproportionately. When you look at humanity on mass, there are a hell of a lot of people who just go along to get along and they're happy to do so.
4: Richard Dawkins has the unfortunate situation of being an old Caucasian male. So he immediately gets hit for that, being an old white male. Who cares what you think? You're, you know, part of everything that's wrong with the world. I do have some concern that when liberals over fifty die off, there's no gonna be any nobody left on the on the left to make any of these arguments. The Matt Tybees, the Bill Mars, the Richard Dawkins, the whoever. We're saying, wait a yeah. second, this is craziness. Um, because the the younger crowd is guess, fitting in with what you're just saying, willing to go along to be liked or something.
5: Well, when you look at the history of Marxism, particularly the Maoist version of it, it is self-evidently Looney Tunes. When you look at Mao's effort to, you know, whisk everybody out of the cities and the intellectual arts and put everybody on collective farms. I mean, you look at it and you think. That's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard, and that's what people thought at the time, but Mao had the power to make them do it, and tens of millions of people starved. Worth mentioning again, we don't teach that in America's schools. America's schools have been redwashed.
4: I never learned that in school. It's amazing that that could happen on planet Earth, like, just a few years before I was born, and I, I didn't learn about that in school. Why not?
5: And if that was like a weird mishap in the history of communism, you could almost excuse not teaching it. But China, anybody, the Soviet Union, Cambodia, Vietnam, North Korea, every effing time, Cuba. it results in starvation, death and oppression every time. But we don't teach it in schools anymore. Does that tell you something about America's educational establishment? Uh, but my ultimate point, and I'm certain I had one. Uh, oh, so. Maoism had to die out because, again, it was self-evidently unworkable. It was idiotic. This stuff is self-evidently idiotic. Radical gender theory, uh, a lot of the critical race theory stuff. And and your best scams, you've heard me say this before, your best scams are roughly 80% true. So they dress themselves in the cloak of truth. Was there racism in the United States? Yes, of course there was. There is now. Slavery? Yes, yeah, so It's blot upon the soul of mankind. Slavery existed everywhere, by the way, and still exists today. Um, then you dress that up in this scam where, as James Lindsay puts it so brilliantly, you call what you want to control racist until you control it. And then you have all the power. So anyway, this stuff is crazy sounding as the Maoist stuff. But you got the sheeple willing to go along just to avoid trouble or just because they think dimly, I want to be a good person, not a bad person. And they're telling me I got to say this to be a good person. And you have something self-evidently crazy become what the society does. It will end disastrously but it will end it's just a question of how many victims it claims along the way
4: i would say on the on the different gender stuff there's 51 genders and all that sort of stuff i feel like the tide definitely has turned on that whole thing and it is is receding i think it reached its mm-hmm. high water mark 2 years ago 3 years ago something like that
5: Mm-hmm. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, about two, three years ago, uh, it, it's it, and what really bothers me about it, a part of it is the narcissism of small distinctions. Kids want to be able to say, I'm this special thing to stand out from their peers. I had long hair and I learned how to play guitar. Everybody does it um, in one way or another. But this stuff is undermining some of the realities of the world. Um, you know, I, I might have played David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust, but I didn't claim to be from outer space. Anyway, uh, part of it's that, and that's fine. But the part that really bothers me is the idea of if there's an effeminate boy, he's transgender. You're a woman. You're a woman. Wait a minute. Maybe I'm just sensitive. Maybe I'm a poet. Maybe I'm gay, whatever. Maybe I'm just kind of effeminate. No, no, no. You need to say you're a woman or you're by this or fluid that or it denies uh, both men and women the opportunity to be super butch or super girly or whatever. And all points in between and to value them as human beings. One final argument. I heard this uh, a few weeks ago and it really struck stuck with me. The uh, the radical gender theory crowd is trying to convince all of us that transgenderism, uh, gender dysphoria is not a disorder and that the, the, the surgery and the hormones and everything is gender affirming health care. OK, if it's not a disorder, why do you have to get dangerous experimental surgery to fix it? If I'm merely quirky, I don't have to go get surgery. That's crazy. Illogical. It doesn't make sense. So, before we take
4: a break, here's my favorite headline of the day that'll make you groan. You want to groan? Not really. And not in a good way, not like a like a the kind of moan that oh. happens sometimes <laughs> when life is good. Um, this is a groan.
5: <laughs> wow. That's a moan, not a groan. Right. I hate to quibble. <laughs> this
4: happened on MSNBC a little bit ago. Their medical contributor told the host that Americans should start wearing masks again after an uptick in COVID hospitalizations. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. You wear yours, you jackass. (laughs) Oh, 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 my God. Oh, wow. That made me groan. Uh, We got a bunch of other stuff on the way. Including.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Including. Michael, look up from your work. Pay attention to your job. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I shouldn't yell at you. You're one of the best parts of the show. I apologize. Um,
3: Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and
5: Getty Show. Uh Here's your freedom-loving quote of the day, going with one of our all-time favorites from C.S. Lewis. Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber barons' cruelty may sometimes sleep. His greed may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. Is Amen to that. And who is C-S. that? C.S. Lewis. That is really good. It uh, is actually from um, a newspaper article he wrote, uh, an editorial in 1958.
4: Now, this other major news story about the burger monarch. Michael?
5: This
3: morning, a major food fight brewing over Burger King's famed Whopper. The meat of the dispute? Consumers who signed on to the proposed class action lawsuit accused Burger King of depicting its best-selling burger with ingredients that overflow the bun, making it appear 35% larger with roughly double the meat than it actually has in real life. They claim the Whopper shown on in-store menu boards misleads customers, constituting a breach of contract.
5: Well, what do you expect in a monarchy? The exec, There is no check on executive power. Right.
4: Burger King is pre-Magna Carta, too, so you just have no rights. <laughs> uh, who who are these people who... Well, it's a lawyer thing. They're going to get money from Burger King. Or Mostly. Gonna, yeah. But
5: uh, I don't know. I just, Before, I don't know what, there were memes. There was that meme that showed... What the advertisement shows you and what the burger really looks like. Everybody knows it. Everybody saw it.
6: Or
4: the toy you bought that isn't near as fun as it looked like in the ads.
5: Or... It is my belief that the children who are in ecstasy over this toy were merely acting in the commercial. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Let's hear more from this problem that's uh, facing America.
3: Court documents showing the side-by-side comparison of a Whopper received by a customer and the advertisement these people aren't looking to get five million dollars because they bought a hamburger that didn't look like what they were advertised. The consumers really want to bring about change. They have a lot of choices. They want to just be told truthfully, what their choices are. A spokesperson for Burger King telling ABC News the plaintiff's claims are false. The flame-grilled beef patties portrayed in our advertising are the same patties used in the millions of Whopper sandwiches we serve to guests nationwide.
5: Yeah, not, Why does it look so big, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> I'm
4: not to believe that, because I I did look at the side-by-side, and like I said, I was at Burger King last night, and the, the meat does not hang out over the side of the bun, and the lettuce isn't, like, holding up the tomato and the... Uh, Yes, Michael. Did, did you complain to the manager? No, we did ask for cheese on our big kings with bacon, and we didn't get cheese. And I says to the kid, I said, uh, "I want the big king with cheese and no and bacon, but no onions." He said, "It doesn't come with onions." I said, "Oh, cool." I said, "Look at you knowing the ingredients of all your sandwiches. Very nicely done." He said, "It's not that hard." <laughs> so I get, so I get my big king, and guess what? It's got on it freaking onions. No. Yes. No. Yes. Henry said, are you going to go back and say something to him? I said, no, but he didn't come off kind of like a
5: know-it-all-ish with it. The big king does not have onions.
4: Turns out it does, Junior.
5: You should have gone back to that counter and taken the onions and pushed them right in his face. What do you think this is, son? smelled like onions? And I just said, look at that picture. Does that
4: look like this? No, it does not. Where do I sign for my class action lawsuit?
5: Oh, uh, I make $12 an hour, man. I don't care. And I don't care, and
4: if they fire me, I'll walk across the street to IHOP, and they'll hire me there, because they need people to.
5: Are you going to eat your squashed underside <laughs> burger, or should I throw it away? <laughs> what a stupid lawsuit. If you want cheese, go to the grocery store.
3: Are-
2: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
5: This is so interesting to me. Uh, I've quoted various parts of this paper uh, through the last couple of weeks, but um, the more I dig into it, the more interesting it becomes. You're surely aware that academia is overwhelmingly left. Well, in a paper that came out not too long ago, uh, a scientist by the name of Mitchell Langbert and colleagues analyzed voter registration data uh, on approximately 4,000 U.S. academics. That's a pretty good sampling, 4,000. As the table below indicates, the ratio of Democrats to Republicans was only 9 to 1 among men. That is uh, only in quotes. That is a bit of irony and a bit of sarcasm. Among men, it is 9 to 1 in academia, Democrat to Republican. Among women, it was just short of 25 to 1. An alternate way to summarize it is that while 10% of male academics are Republicans, fewer than 4% of female academics are. That is shocking. Shocking thanks to that and another study that they cite we also have detailed surveys from two of the most left-leaning disciplines sociology and anthropology anthropology Uh,
4: sociology obs, but anthropology
5: yeah um and then they go into the attitudes among uh, male and female sociologists uh, from a sample of 500 who agreed and disagreed with various items um, compared to men, women were much more likely to say sociology should be both a scientific and moral enterprise and sociology should analyze and transcend oppression. They were less likely to say more political conservatives would benefit benefit our discipline and that advocacy and research should be separate for objectivity. You know, that last one troubles me the most advocacy and research clearly should be separate for objectivity otherwise what's your act what's your advocacy based on flawed data why well because if i can flaw the data in my favor it gives me an even stronger case they would say if they were going to be honest about it um so that's that's the the ratios of of liberals to conservatives is shocking and insane but how liberal and they dig into the survey, the actual questions asked. Um, uh, they and they go into sociology should be both scientific and moral, as we've said. Uh, blah blah blah. I support Marx's dictum to change the world. Women agreed, seventy four to eight. To openly, to, 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 I,
4: I support Marx's dictum to
5: change the world. Change the world. Okay. Yeah. It's 5620 men, but it's 74 to 8 women. Opponents of gay marriage should not be sociologists. Um, let's see. Those those numbers are kind of weird. Huh. Uh, let's see. Where's the uh, pursuing social justice is not incompatible with accurate research. 76% of the women agreed with that. And that's that's fairly uncontroversial, but Uh, The part that uh, was really troubling was that compared to men, women were substantially more likely to say science is just one way of knowing and that postmodern theories have made important contributions. What does that mean? That critical theory, queer theory, radical, you know, this, that, and the other theory are important to our field. Um. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, finally, there's evidence uh, supplied by Eric Kaufman in his mammoth report. He re- compiled data from several different surveys of graduate students and ap- academics. He found that women were more likely to support dismissal campaigns, kicking out people who disagreed, more likely to discriminate against conservatives and more likely to support diversity quotas for reading lifts, lists. Overall, they had significantly more left wing views. And troublingly, uh, where is that? Um, Oh, where is it? I'm sorry. I misplaced it. Uh, Women were, oh, compared to men, women were less pro-free speech and more pro-censorship. Within academia itself, they are more left-wing, more inclined toward activism, and less inclined toward dispassionate inquiry. In fact, where are the, uh, oh, the advocacy for uh, the suppression of free speech? I don't see those numbers. But again, women were distinctly more likely to advocate that sort of position. So we have academia that is wildly left, and the women of academia are the hardest core radicals, ideological radicals in America today. And I really feel for you people who are sending your kids off to school at enormous expense to be exposed to these people. If if your kid has a female teacher professor, the chances are, 25 to 1, they are going to be a progressive. And the fact that they're, I mean, if any field was 25 to 1, that's crazy. The field of teaching your children about the world, that is completely unacceptable.
4: So I was listening to an interesting podcast yesterday. It was with a British pundit. He's a professor. He was also in Parliament for a while. And he was talking about how troubling it is how United States identity politics is catching on in Great Britain. And he said... Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you talk to uh, school kids, they're more likely to know who Rosa Parks was and Martin Luther King than a lot of great British, you know, figures that throughout history have been, you know, the sort of person you you learn about as a, as a kid in England. Um, because... The whole identity politics thing has traveled there and was discussing how it it only catches on, really, if you if you're the kind of kid that goes off to college and doesn't work because you almost have to be able to capture a kid, isolate them from the world and hang on to them for four years. To get them to buy this stuff. Because if you were working, you'd run into reality every single day when you went to work. You'd realize nobody's using... Because if you're in college and you don't have a job or have never had a job, you don't realize nobody's using pronouns. Nobody's right. doing that in the workplace. It's non-existent. Right. Except for rare exceptions. Whereas if you had a job and stuff like that, you'd be learning about that at school. And you'd go to, to your job and realize, I don't know what they're talking about at school. But ain't nobody even discussing this stuff at Walmart or the restaurant, or wherever else I'm working.
5: So you have this, uh, actually, I came across this article in the journal uh, a couple of weeks ago, I held on to it, uh, American Wokeness Invades Britain's Schools. It's exactly what you're talking about, and and it's a, f- uh, a profile of this extremely controversial educator in Britain who has opened up the equivalent of a charter school, um, and, and they call her Britain's strictest headmistress mit- and... And her arguments, which I'm looking at the clock. Maybe we'll save that for next segment. But the fact that she's being portrayed as radical, saying what she's saying, gives you an idea of how far left education has gone. But I promise you the James Lindsay thing. He did a brilliant speech. Uh, it's the guy who authored. Cynical theories with Helen Pluck grows if you know this topic, if you're into this topic, you know who James Lindsay is. But um, he gave the speech in Europe where he was talking about this is neo-Marxism. The Marxists failed in make, making it about the working class versus the bourgeoisie because the working class all over the world said, hey, I'm working hard. I'm getting ahead. I've got a good life. I like this. I'm up for plant manager next month. So that failed. The Marxism did not catch on in the Western world. And so the Marxists kind of got back together in the middle twenty first or 20th century and said, OK, how do we pit people against each other? And they decided in the German, uh, you know, uh, philosophical and intellectual salons that we've got to go with the racial minorities, the sexual minorities, women, if we can fire them up. The way we overthrow the current world order and bring on Marxism is that energy, not class energy, but race energy. And so Lindsay was talking about, look, it's super hot in the U.S. and it, uh, they use these terms and they're using these strategies. It's a virus. It will adapt itself to Britain. Do not think you're immune to this. It, they will go hard at the uh, colonizing. What's that? Decolonizing. Obviously, in Britain, that's going to be their strategy. They're going to call everything you do, every vestige of British tradition, culture, and society, they're going to call it part of the colonizing evil. And, and, and he explained, as he often does, critical race theory, you call what you want to control racist until you control it, Till everybody's so afraid of you, you take control of it. In Britain, they're going to call everything colonialist, until people give them control of it. Then they get control of it, obviously. That's the strategy. And it is invading Britain. Uh, Once you understand how it works, it's like, I see what you're doing. And it's easy to recognize. But, man, this is the truth just putting on its shoes while the lie has made it into every American classroom, which is why I'm so fired up about this. This is the great ideological battle of our lifetimes. And this woman who's very controversial, I mean, she uh, when she opened her school, there were union picketers outside, uh, activists like critical theory people saying this woman's a racist and cruel. and, And here's what she believes. She places the emphasis on discipline. She said children need lots of discipline. And when I see say discipline, I don't mean they need to be able to sit in a chair or be punished. They need to be able to work hard both in the classroom and outside to engage with learning and really want to listen to the teacher, to be interested in the subject matter, to be able to strategize for their lives and have goals. They need to understand how their behavior now will affect their futures and the kinds of people that they will be. And she believes that a discipline of mind, of attitude, ignoring this is one of the ways we let our children down, all children. But it especially hurts the disadvantage. People don't like it when I talk about this personal responsibility and a sense of duty toward others. So um, she believes that the idea that a child has agency and can choose between right and wrong is quite contentious. The view is that and it's gaining ground in schools. Thanks a lot, America is that children, quote, cannot help the way they behave because they are poor or they are black or their father isn't in the home. But apart from, quote, some very exceptional situations, she says, the vast majority of children can engage with lessons and behave themselves. Quote, if we allow them not to because of some idea that they're not able to do it, that they don't have the agency to decide to do so, or that something is preventing them from exercising that agency, then I think we're letting them down. In other words, she's like every success story you've ever seen on 60 Minutes where some tough-talking, demanding principal takes over a Harlem school, it's usually a black man or woman, demands a lot from the kids, expects a lot from the kids, and the kids delight in reaching their expectations. How many times do we have to see this right. played out before the radical leftists who say, no, the opposite, you're, you're a racist, this is white guilt, you can't demand anything of kids. Oh Most people, oh God, they're child abusers. Yeah, that
4: reminds me. I didn't get to this story yet. It was in my headlines this morning when I woke up. It's a Washington Post story, I think. A school district ended academic tracking, in quotes. It's a leader in the quest for racial equity and a cautionary tale. And I have a feeling I know what the story is. That when they stopped tracking academic achievement, they did end up with equity. Was everybody failing?
5: Yes, sure. Shared misery, as uh, Churchill put it. Yeah. So if yeah, you want the won- whole, we're eliminating grades, we're eliminating homework, achievement tests, in the name of equity. That's serving the kids? Wow. Armstrong and Getty. The reality is, is This is fabulous. I thank you. <gasps> that's enough of that. This is all crazy.
1: It's just the way it is. Yep. But damn
5: it. We weren't allowed to ask about the big guys. This is the
4: United States of America for God's sake. Let's not play games with
0: this. This is the Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: The Armstrong and Getty Show
5: I've been selling my soul Working all day Overtime hours Another week of Oliver Anthony sticking it to the Rich men North of Richmond, his viral country hit again, topping the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. Billboard points out that streams actually went up week to week, which is rare for a number one song. Rich Men North of Richmond has created such a stir that it was a topic at last week's Republican presidential primary debate, though Anthony has said it bothers him to see the topical song wrapped up in politics, and the song's title refers to those who were on that debate stage.
4: And Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. Everybody's, Both parties. Yeah. Everybody's tried to, yeah, whatever. Um, I still still wonder if he's going to, when he's 50 years old, think, I really should have cashed in on that moment. I admire what he's doing now, not cashing in on the moment. But I just wonder if at some point in life he's going to think, yeah, it'd be nice to have a couple million dollars in the bank right now.
5: Anyway. Uh, yeah, it could be. Could be. Yeah.
4: So I came across this yesterday. My son, I don't remember how we got on this. Uh, anyway, we were watching uh, some uh, history videos and ca- came across Uzi. which, oh, I know. He's watching some uh, great video about evolution in school that they'd put to music. And I'd never seen this guy before. And it's some new stuff that didn't exist when I was a kid and thought it was really, really great way to learn about. Um, history and evolution and human beings and stuff put to a tune that made it more entertaining. I love stuff like that. God, I would mm-hmm. love that as a kid. And it's everywhere on YouTube. But somehow we came across uh, Uzi, which if I had learned about it before I had forgotten about, Uzi is the oldest intact human that has ever been found. So back in 1991, some Ger- German tourists with the, were 10,000 feet up on a mountain in the Alps between Austria and Italy, and they saw a body... And they assumed it was just a deceased mountaineer because that happens a lot high up there in the mountains. People die trying to climb the mountains. And, yes, other people thought it was, too, because it was like a full-on body. And a bunch of people came, and they were trying to pull it out. And even the experts came and tried to pull it out until finally somebody came along and thought, I think this is older than that. They they were more careful trying to pull it out of the, house, the ice. Then when they got it down, were able to look it over. <laughs> (laughs) Guy said, this thing is at least 4,000 years old, based on the the tools it had. Turns out it's 5,000 years old. So 3,000 years before Jesus was born, this guy got frozen in the ice up on that mountain with his skin, with his eyes, with his hair, with his tools, I mean, just with his teeth. I mean, just his his whole body was there. 5,000-year-old eyeballs. It's really quite amazing. So they originally thought that the guy probably died of exposure. But this is what really fascinating me is how technology has gotten better over the years. Just since 1991, they've been able to figure out all kinds of things. They initially believed that Uzi died from exposure during a winter storm. Well, in 2001, more modern X-ray and CT technology revealed that he had an arrowhead lodged in his left shoulder when he died, matching a small tear in his coat. And that prompted them to believe, that, to figure out that he died of blood loss from a wound, which would have been, um, they figured out he was a, he was either in a battle or he was murdered. They're not exactly sure which. He had bruises and cuts to his hands, wrists and chest, terrible trauma to his head. So he'd been oh. in some sort of battle and bled to death there on the mountain. Then, more recently, DNA analysis taken in 2003 showed that traces of blood from at least four other people on his gear One from his knife, two from a single arrowhead in his quiver, and a fourth from his coat. So he had been, you know, he'd killed some people or been wrestling around with people or whatever. He was in a hell of a melee. Yeah, yeah. And because of the way he was laying on the ground and that the arrow was pulled out, they believe whoever shot him with the arrow um, came up. Rolled him over, pulled the arrow out of him, and then left him there in the in the ice to, to die, where he bled to death. Because I guess arrows were hard enough to make; you didn't want to just sure. give one away by shooting some dude. Yeah, but th- there was just something. Uh, the videos are they're a little gross, obviously, as you would expect. But looking at a, 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 the guy was five foot three. Well, we were small people back then. Would not have done well on uh, Tinder. He'd have been swiped. Looking at somebody with tools who had been on a battle for his life and just, you know, seeing his teeth and his eyes and his hair and his clothes and everything, 5,000 years ago. 3,000 pre-Jesus. It's just it's just uh, trying to wrap your head around that and how it relates to our troubles and problems in your daily struggles and everything is just mind-blowing to me
5: oh yeah everybody with the anxiety and depression all this guy was fighting for his life on a mountaintop and he looked i'd assume very very much like us
4: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely I don't know I think.
5: I think all of us have this this tendency to think of the people of a thousand years ago, or two, or four, or five thousand years ago, as uh, they're very different. They're brutish. They didn't have any hopes or dreams or intellect or anything like that. They actually liked living a hard scrabble existence where death could come suddenly and painfully. <laughs> right. No, not really.
4: Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a good dose of perspective for the day on looking at my various uh, you know travails throughout a twenty four hour period. <laughs>
5: Armstrong and Getty.
0: This is the day that we say. You're about to open a pit of hell. The Bobcat
2: Techno-1. Bob? A Bobcat.
4: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
3: VGW Group. No purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
4: Hey, guys. Back at the playground
0: again, huh?
3: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country.